Moncrief on News Talk. It is indeed time for parenting once again. Joanna Fortune joins us. Good afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon, Sean. And here's your first question. Uh, I have a five and a half year old, a three and a half year old and a six month old, all boys. I'm finding the dynamic between the two older boys hard to manage. They fight over most things. The eldest losing his temper, getting angry and emotional and often lashing out. This is a constant pattern in our house. The younger boy being no angel and knows how to press his brother's buttons to get a reaction. I try to give the eldest space from the younger boy to separate them, but the younger one really gets upset about this and I have another battle on my hands. The latest thing that is causing a lot of stress in the house is going to bed and arguing over who has to get ready first. The eldest is usually the one that submits in the end, but he wonders why does he have to always go first? I've tried a visual checklist for nighttime routine where they pull the flap on each on each activity they have done, but they have no interest in whether they get any of them done or not. So I don't find it effective. How can I make it more appealing to stop this not me attitude? I'm tired. God, I'm tired oh, reading it out. Seriously. And I think that last little bit, I'm tired, explains so much. And of course you are. You have a six month old baby as well as these two other young children and they are young children. So a lot of what you're describing is quite typical. I almost hate saying that, Sean, because it sounds like, no, no, I want an answer. I don't (laughs) want you telling me this is typical. But our siblings are one of our early experiences of the best of friendship and the worst of enemies all rolled into one. There's so much learning that goes on in that kind of relationship. But also, I think the sibling relationship is probably our most uninhibited relationship that our children will ever have across their lives. Because, though, of that lack of inhibitions, no better than a sibling to do or say something nobody else would to you, it increases the influence they have on each other in terms of how each of them think feel and ultimately behave. So what you're describing to me is like, yeah, this is just classic sibling dynamic. Also, there's two years between these little boys and they are little boys. And that age gap makes them developmental competitors. They are within arm's reach. And your five and a half year old is likely to be going, I want him away from me because he's younger and I want to be doing things like the big kid. And the little one is going, no, I'm just like him. I want to be keeping up, matching what he's doing. And so they're nipping at each other. And I think in lot, look, at there are certainly things that you can do, but I'm I'm putting a kind of caution note on this one, Sean, because I'm going to say, how about doing this and this and this? And you're telling us really clearly you're really tired. So before you take on how you're going to respond and handle this little shift in their relationship and, you know, they're five and a half and three and a half now, but this could go on for a while with them is how do you resource yourself so that you've got the necessary resources to bring them. Because I bet you this bedtime battle, the sort of bickering that's going on between them is hitting you harder because you're under-resourced, exhausted and caring for a new ch- a new baby, mm-hmm. a six-month-old and all of the demands that that brings. So think in your own family network, your own kind of personal network. Who can you pull in to help you with this, at least for a period of time. And how are you going to resource yourself? What time is there for you? Aside from that, though, and I do think that's really important in this, there's a few things you could do that's going to promote a little bit of collaborative play. So they're playing 
together rather than against each other or fighting over the same toys at the same time. I mean, you could do a little scavenger hunt around your home or better again, your garden, get them outside, just hide something. I mean, it could be a thing, but, you know, some could be some treats or it could be a little toy or some Lego blocks. It equally could be a voucher or, or something that's about privilege. Like you could hide a little bag with the ingredients for making fudge. I'm only saying that because there's three ingredients in fudge and it's very easy <laughs> to do. So you just hide some chocolate and condensed milk and they bring that in and you make fudge together. Um, if your children were older, you can be all kinds of creative with your scavenger hunt and hide the Wi-Fi code in the garden for them to find. But you lay out clues. They go find them. They work it out together. They have to work as a team. You could also hand them a box of mixed Lego blocks and take out all the instruction manuals away and they have to work together to build something. You could set a timer, a little visual sand timer is best rather than a, a phone or an alarm one. But it's it's a word free time. So say it's 15 minutes. For, you turn it and you say for 15 minutes, nobody can use words. You can only communicate with facial expressions. So they can pull all the kinds of funny faces, nasty faces, mean faces at each other, but they can't hit and they can't call each other names. And you're just getting them to look at each other and end up laughing together about the silliness of it. So there's lots of things you can do. You can sit with them while the baby is on a blanket beside you. You can have another blanket between them that you put a balloon on and you do hot potato, cold potato. You know, when it's hot potato, you lift it up really vigorously. When it's cold potato, you barely rumble it. There's lots of little activities like that that you can do that promotes that kind of collaborative challenge play because it's itching the scratch with the challenge of competitiveness, but they're having to work together. But I honestly think that the best way for you to approach this is start with yourself. And when you feel more energy and more resourcing within yourself, that kind of creative flow for getting them playing together will happen. But in the meantime, as much outdoor time as you can get, get these two little boys running, jumping, climbing, splashing, tumbling, get a lot of this energy burnt off before you're trying to do bedtime. Yeah. Okay. But there's no simple answer, re there really, really unfortunately. Because, and also those little boys are reacting to a new baby in the house. You know, that's a big change yeah. for them as well. And they see that you're tired and you're less available. So naturally they want more. That's what kids do. Oh, you don't have that time for me. Well, let me increase my demand. Because they go into a little bit of panic mode when they see that you're occupied and distracted with something else. And they find ways of pulling you back to them. And this bickering intention that they're engaging in is very effective. Yeah. My mother, this is an interesting one. I don't think we've ever had a question quite like this before. My mother and my daughter have an argument and both turn to me for validation. I'm never sure what to do and generally tend to weigh in more with my daughter as I don't think there should be two adults against one child. I'll often talk to her about it properly later when the dust settles. Example as follows. I tend to let my daughter choose her own clothes to wear. To be honest, I'm sometimes embarrassed by what she turns up in. But uh, sure, if she's delighted with how she looks, who am I to tell her otherwise? Recently, my mother uh, bought some clothes for my daughter. My daughter tried on the mismatching bits and was happy out. My mother pointed out that she can't wear them as an outfit. And after my daughter uh, got angry, my mother got angry and snaps, don't speak to me like that. There's a standoff. They're both waiting for me to tell them that they're right. I ask them that they both step away and, st and stop speaking to each other like that. My mother thinks I'm too soft with the kids, but I just want to let my daughter express herself. What should I do? 
Oh, my goodness. Um, mm. I mean, look, I agree with you. There should never be two adults against one child. I'd go a little further, Sean, and say they're really in an ideal situation. There should never be an adult against a child, never mind two. Because if you're towering over fighting or getting into a battle of wills with a child, you're already losing. You've already lost control and they can go much louder and longer than we can. So I would think that's something that jumps out at me here. But when you're you don't say in this letter how old your daughter is. But I don't know, I'm suspecting between five and seven years old, um, just based on some of what's described here and about the clothes and things like that. It reads, Sean, like managing two siblings rather than a grandparent, grandparent. Like, I feel like it's like this, this other mum with the two little boys. Okay. Th- should they go on treasure hunts together then? Let's get them a scavenger hunt. <laughs> but actually, I, I'm reading this and I find myself wondering how this parent's mother felt when she lost the focus of their attention. You know, if this is your mom, how did your mom feel when she lost the focus of your attention to your children? It sounds like she's taken up a peer role with your daughter not mm. an adult child role, and a peer role. And I think we can underestimate, you know, the impact. If you, as an adult child of an aging parent, if you have a very close relationship with your parent and then you become a parent and now your focus and all of that, you know, attention that you could give your parent is going to your own children, that can sting for some parents mm. who are now grandparents. Um, that can be hard. And for me, this feels like you've got two people competing for your attention, for your connection. Pick me, pick me, say I'm right. And it's hard to know which is your mother and which is your daughter in that. So I'm curious how your mom has coped with losing you and as much of you as she had to your children. I mean, the one to talk with in this is not your daughter. It's actually your mother about how important it is that she and your daughter have a positive connection. I think it is, by the way, really important for a grandparent and grandchild to have a positive connection. I think, you know, in an again, we could say ideal, but in a good enough situation, that's a really influ- influential and powerful relationship for children to have. But from a parenting perspective, you don't owe anyone an explanation for your parenting choices. I mean, you could certainly share the basis for your choices with your mother and that you want to encourage your children to express themselves. This is why you consciously do that, but you don't owe her a justification. So I think you've got to sit with your mom. You're going to know how best to do that. Is it best in a public place over a scone and a cup of coffee or is it best in one of your homes, depending on you? Again, you'll know which is going to be the most amicable environment for that conversation to happen and just express how exhausted you are, how upsetting it is when this happens and that this is your young child who is still learning about the world and herself in it. And she relies on you, your mother, other people in her attachment network, you know, her support network for to learn about the world. And this this isn't working. And at the end of the day, does it matter what the child is wearing? It really mm, doesn't. Mm. It really, really doesn't. So even that example that you give really speaks more about power and control than what the child is wearing. It sounds like they'd have an argument about anything. 
It really does. Like it sounds like, you know, again, it just sounds like two kids bickering. It's an adult who has taken the peer role. And that is not a good place to be. It doesn't help the child, but it's also not in the adult's interest because you're changing the nature of how that relationship really should be between you and your grandchild. So I would have her step back. And if she's like, no, absolutely not. I don't agree. Simply ask that she not buy your child clothes anymore. I appreciate your generosity. But if it's going to cause tension, just leave the clothes out of it. Yeah. Although I bet you it's not just clothes, like you said, it is other things. But I think this is a conversation with your mother because I think it's more about your relate her relationship with you than it is with her relationship with your daughter. Yeah. My son is seven and is showing no interest in Christmas and can't get into the festive spirit. He shows no excitement when we put up the, the Christmas tree for the toy show last week, has no interest in writing a letter to Santa and is refusing to go to the wild lights experience that we booked for the weekend. In general, he isn't an over-animated person. I wouldn't get overly excited for most things. But his father is a bit like that. I suppose I'm worried because Christmas is such a magical and important time for children and I want him to enjoy all that it involves. His emotion around Christmas is so deadpan that I'm starting to worry that something else might be at play. I've never in my life seen a child who isn't excited for getting toys at Christmas. His brother and sister are very different and I can't relax and enjoy Christmas myself until I know my son feels happy. Oh, stop. I mean, I I just like bring it down. It's okay that he doesn't love it. Okay, now there's a couple of things in this. You're doing a lot. I mean, you've had the toy show, you've the tree up already. You know, it's still November by the skin of its teeth, but Mm. it is. So that's a long lead in to Christmas. There's the wild lights, which is beautiful, gorgeous. But again, a very stimulating, busy experience. And this is all happening in, you know, at the very beginning of the month. So he may be a kid who likes to pace himself leading into these things because it is going to be a marathon, not a sprint, given how early Christmas starts. Like we're starting Christmas as soon as pumpkins are barely rotting on the front doorstep. Yeah. You know, like it is a huge lead in time. And there can be lots of reasons, Sean, that children might not like or might get overwhelmed by Christmas. Uh, many kids get overwhelmed by it. It can be too bright, too loud, too much stimulation for some of them. And I just think, you know, when you say in this bit, you know, his emotion is deadpan, I'm worrying something else might be at play. Now, you're saying his emotion around Christmas is so deadpan. If this is seasonal, he just doesn't like Christmas, then I would not blow this any bigger than it already is. But if you're saying his emotion is deadpan in general or around any event that's going on, I would be curious about, oh, okay, is it the focus, the attention, the expectation that I'm delighted with gifts that I might not be delighted with, by the way, not all of them, but I know I have to pretend like I am and say thank you and show all this overt gratitude. It's a lot of pressure and demands. Is there other things that spark joy in his life? And maybe he just moves at a different tempo. What I would say, though, is I, I was sent a book and I just I'm really into it at the moment because I'm I'm getting a lot of use out of it myself. It's called You're a Christmas Star, Fun Activities for a Calm Christmas. It's by Poppy O'Neill. OK, mm. it should be in any bookstore. But what it's 
aimed at ages seven to 11 year olds um, generally. I think a little younger, a little older would also enjoy it just to add that. But while it's aimed at a calm Christmas, I think it could apply here to your son because it is really small, simple, but fun, practical activities in the lead up to Christmas. So he doesn't have to get massively excited about putting up the tree or writing letters. There are much smaller activities in this book that he could do. There's all kinds of things about practicing a little bit of movement. There's Christmas yoga, how to take a deep breath by tracing a star, you know, literally showing you how to be calm and talk about feelings. There's a gratitude advent calendar. There's lots of just really fun stuff to do in this. And I think something like that for he or you or together, you pick a simple, basic activity. That's what we're doing this week. Mm. And that it isn't always wild lights and big things and the toy show late at night. Give him smaller things to get less excited about so that his less excitement is congruent, if that makes sense. So it doesn't look like, God, he's always underwhelmed. Give him things that he can actually enjoy and participate in. Don't demand he loves something because the rest of you do. And just find those small ways. Um, Even say to him, you know, if you were the boss of Christmas, I wonder how would you plan it? And listen, don't interrupt or clarify or correct. Just listen to what he says. And if you can find a very small aspect of Christmas season that he does tolerate, enjoy, find okay, make him the boss of that. So give him small roles that he can do. But I would take the demand away from this. Yeah. Could it be that just Mammy is a very Christmassy person and can't understand because the seven-year-old isn't? Absolutely. Of course, it could be that everyone in the family does it at a heightened level. And he's like, no, not for me. Don't love it. That's just the way it goes. There are lots of people like that, like I think as well, because it starts so soon. And as a family, to be really inclusive, if you find he doesn't, it's not that he doesn't like it. It's just that it goes on too long and he's not that invested. Could you tolerate starting your Christmas a week and a half, two weeks later than you like Mm, to do? I know that might be a big ask, but instead of doing it at the end of November, could the tree and stuff go up second week of December? Yeah. Just so it's a smaller lead in for him. One could argue for children in general, it might be a well, good idea to do that because their heads are swiveling. That's how I do it. So, yeah, yeah I'm, that's also that's my bias as well. It's not going up till the second week of December <laughs> here. <laughs> so, it's, it's a lot and it's a really extended period of time. And we want to manage that stimulation because it's too much for kids and their little nervous systems to cope with. Yeah. Uh, somebody's texting in to say that seven year old is wise beyond his years. <laughs> Uh, Christmas is the load of nonsense. Oh gosh! Okay, that's not. No, it's not nonsense. It's lovely, but it's a lot. That's what we're saying. It's yeah, a lot. yeah, absolutely, it is a lot. Joanna, thanks a million. Uh, Thank uh, you. As ever, Joanna Fortune there. Moncrief weekdays at two p.m. on News Talk.